Welcome to Envision, fostering a community for change. Your co-hosts are Ronnie Langer-Kroger and Thomas Rosenberg. In today's program, you'll meet fascinating people who are implementing innovative ideas to make a difference both locally and globally. Now, here is your host. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Envision. I'm your co-host, Ronnie Langer-Kroger. I'm very pleased to join Thomas Rosenberg in co-hosting Envision. Thomas and I have been friends and have collaborated in Optima Business Bootcamp for the past couple of years now. When Thomas asked me to co-host, I immediately said yes. This show is very much aligned with our vision to co-create an economy that is restorative of people, place, and planet. I'm excited to do my first show this month as October is National Cooperative Month. And I'm deeply grateful to have as my first guests a couple of my favorite cooperative developers, Hilaria Bell and Allison Lingain, the co-founders of Project Equity. Project Equity is a nonprofit that supports businesses in their transition to worker-owned models. Small businesses are the lifeblood of our economy. But as baby boomers retire, so many of our small businesses are at risk of closure. We'll be talking with Hillary and Allison about how Project Equity keeps small businesses local by helping them convert to employee ownership. Hillary and Allison, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks, Ronnie. It's great to be with you. It's great to be with you, too. And happy co-op month. Same to you. Happy co-op month. And it's also employee ownership month. Oh, that's even better. A nice coincidence. A nice coincidence. (laughs) Exactly. I wanted to start off by, you know, having you tell a little bit about your story. How did the two of you come together to co-found Project Equity? Yeah, this is Hillary. I can I can start off. It's a um, a fun story. We were actually introduced by a mutual friend about seven years ago, and he knew that we shared some passions and said, "You two just have to meet." So so immediately, as Allison and I started to get to know each other, we realized that we shared a real desire to make the economy work better for everybody, and especially for low-wage workers. Um, and my particular entry point into that was, was through the cooperative model. Many years ago, I was a, a worker-owner at a worker-owned cooperative called Equal Exchange, and we were the first company to import fair trade coffee into the United States and a leader in the fair trade movement. And in my role there, I got to know small farmer cooperatives in Latin America where very poor small farmers were radically improving their communities and developing schools and health clinics and value-added services for their, their coffee business through selling through their cooperative. And I also experienced the power of being not only an employee and a worker in the company I was in, but also a co-owner and being able to serve on the board. So that experience really inspired me. Um, and when I met Allison, at that time, I was actually the executive director of another nonprofit that was developing um, cooperative businesses with low-income women here in the Bay Area. And we were seeing incredible results. You know, we, were, we had um, immigrant women from Mexico and Central America who were becoming the primary breadwinners in their families as they became part of this um, kind of cutting-edge, eco-friendly cleaning business that they co-owned. And we actually had data that showed that their family incomes were increasing by as much as 40 to 80%. So I don't know if you've ever had your, your family income increase by that amount. Most of us haven't. And it was pretty incredible to see and the, the personal empowerment and the community leadership that came with that. So I was really excited about enabling more, helping more folks to have access to that kind of real economic empowerment. And that's really the issue that Allison, Allison and I connected around was the desire to scale that. Terrific. Yeah. 
And, you know, this is Allison. From my perspective, you know, when I first learned about employee ownership, and of course, I didn't learn about employee ownership models in business school. You don't learn about it from your friends or neighbors. These are, these are models that are highly underrepresented in our economy. But when I first learned uh, through meeting Hillary about worker cooperatives and employee ownership models more broadly, it just clicked for me because these are businesses where um, individual, the, the opportunity for people from a financial perspective, from a professional advancement perspective, are built right into the business, and the business decisions themselves are made through the lens of what's good for the employees, and so by extension, their families and their communities. And it just like, like I said, it just clicked with me of, gosh, we're working so hard to try and, you know, put regulation in place or affect minimum wage or to sort of require businesses to do right by their employees and their communities. But this business model actually builds it right in. So we just need more of this type of business that's going to do right by our communities because that's, 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 that's the right thing to do because the people who are being affected by the businesses are making the decisions. Yeah, Allison, you hit on a pretty good point there around uh, this co- cooperative business model is not talked about a lot. Uh, we both started our organizations around the same time with the desire to take cooperative ownership to scale. And I know that's not an easy task because of that. We're often uh, having to go back to basics of explaining what a cooperative is and why it matters in our economy. How has that impacted project equity strategy for scaling cooperative ownership? Yeah, great question and, and one, one we, we wrestle with a lot. Um, you know, for us, we've really found the resonance in, um, in, a, in a couple of ways. One is really just about local business ownership people really get that the, the business that's owned by somebody who lives in the community um, has a different relationship than a business that's owned by a big corporation um, or an absentee business owner. And so people really understand the power of local business ownership and so that it's not that much of a leap to understand, well, if that local business is actually owned by the employees themselves, how that local business ownership is now actually has deeper roots um, and is rooted in a community for the long term. So, so, so that's, you know, a major point of resonance. And, you know, f- for us, we talk, we talk about um, employee ownership more broadly, again, because the concept of a cooperative is, is less well known and less well understood and, um, you know, frankly has, has some, some misunderstandings about what it really is and um, how it's really structured. But in, employee ownership kind of makes is a term that is more familiar to people. Mm. And there are different yeah, Ronnie, types of... Yeah. Go ahead, Hillary. Oh, sorry. I was just going to say that to your question about our strategy for scaling um, cooperative ownership and employee ownership, because there's so little awareness, we do spend a lot of time raising awareness. Um, and so we put quite a bit of effort this year into... Um, you know, getting some interesting data out there and doing some PR work and getting news coverage, which has really served to um, kind of legitimize and, and get the issue that we're working on out in front of the public. Excellent. And, you know, you mentioned, Allison, uh, you know, focusing on employee ownership. As I understand that there are a number of different types of employee ownership. Could you just tell our audience a little bit more about those different types of employee ownership? Yeah, absolutely. And and Project Equity, in terms of what we're doing and the change we're trying to create in our economy, we really focus on what we call broad-based democratic employee ownership. 
And so um, what that means is broad-based. It means that ownership is available to all eligible employees. So it's not something only available to the management team or, you know, a select few, but broadly if you meet the eligibility requirements, like, you know, maybe you work a minimum of 30 hours a week or you've been there for a certain period of time, then you can become a, a, an employee owner at that company. And then also that it's democratic. So that so back to the business decisions are being made by the people who work in the business. Um, by democratic, we mean that there is uh, uh, representation, ideally controlled by by um, the, the on a board level. So so that the governance of the company decisions are being made um, by a, a board that is made up of a majority of employee owners. So those two components, broad-based and democratic. And then, you know, the forms that they can take, there are a number of different forms. One is a worker-owned cooperative. Um, another is uh, a form that, that, that may be more familiar to some listeners as there are more, more of them. It's called an employee stock ownership plan, an ESOP. In order for an ESOP to be both broad-based and democratic, you have to build, layer in some additional components. So we call it a democratic ESOP. Um, and then the third form is you can use a trust structure. So you can create a perpetual employee trust um, to be able to, to um, achieve, achieve very similar goals. Excellent. Um, I want to shift gears a little bit and talk a little bit more about your strategy um, you've really focused on serving what you've termed as the the silver tsunami. Uh, I think I read in one report you identified about 45% of the country's small businesses are owned by baby boomers. And as these owners retire, many of the businesses with employees are at risk of shutting down. How do you work with these businesses to keep them local? Yeah, and, and that's a huge, huge issue. Um, yes, if you stop and think about it, if nearly one out of every two local employers, so privately held companies that have employees, one out of every two are owned by baby boomers. And so if we know that baby, you know, the last of the baby boomers is going to hit 65 in fewer than 15 years, we have this window of time um, really to, to, to act um, and you know, from our perspective, to take advantage of what is the greatest wealth transfer in our nation's history um, and is going to be hugely impactful to our local economies and our local communities as these local business owners stop and think about what they're going to do with their companies. And we know that most business owners do not have a succession plan. Only about 15% actually have figured out what they're going to do with their company and so what that means is that a lot of these companies are just going to quietly close down. It's just easier to shut the doors than it is to deal with selling and doing all that stuff. Um, or many of them, you know, may get bought out, especially the larger ones that employ more people, may get bought by out-of-area buyers, which leads to consolidation, layoffs, um, you know, loss of local ownership. And so what we're saying is, is it's, it's actually very urgent for, for us at the local level to intervene in, in this process that's, that's already unfolding in communities um, to, to make sure we don't lose the local ownership and to take this opportunity, as I said earlier, to really deepen the roots of ownership through transitioning to employee ownership. And so what we do, you know, Hillary mentioned, we do a lot of awareness raising um, to get this option on the menu. Business owners don't, don't wake up and say, oh, you know, I'm going to sell to my employees. 
And they don't do that because they haven't seen the examples of it happening. So we try and get those examples out there, make this an option. Um, you know, with some of the, the press that we've gotten this year, you know, we have gotten a flood of, of baby boomer business owners calling and saying, oh, my gosh, I heard about this option and it really resonates with me it, because community matters. You know, all of these issues matter to me. Um, but I hadn't known about it before. So that's, that's a, big, a big push for us is making sure that people know about this option um, so the business owners can know it is a real viable option, that they can sell their business, they can get, get fair market price for their business, um, and they can get help from organizations like Project Equity to transition their company to their employees on a timeline that's not dissimilar to what it would be if they went and listed it with a business broker. Excellent. That's a pretty astonishing number of businesses that don't have a succession plan. Um, you talk a little bit about, you know, what are the challenges in that? You know, why aren't these businesses creating succession plans? <laughs> yeah, if we knew that, we'd, you know, we'd be able to solve the fact that people don't save for retirement, to solve the fact that people don't write wills. <laughs> you know, it's, it's a thing in the future, right? It's so oh, it's something I can deal with later. Um, and so, yeah, if you talk to 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 any sort of financial planner, or or you know, there is a whole field of exit planning, which is succession planning. You know, everyone will say you really should get started three to five years before you're ready to sell your company. Um, and so we see that. We do see some business owners who are proactive and really getting ahead of it. But we also see business owners who wake up one day and say, gosh, you know, it's time. It's time for me to retire. Or, you know, uh, we've had conversations with several business owners where their, their life partner, uh, you know, maybe it's their wife who has retired a couple of years ago and, you know, it's like, now, you know, I want you to retire now because I'm tired, you know, I want you to be able to be retired with me. Um, and so, so, so the planning ahead and getting ahead of it, it is really important, um, and 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 making sure you can you you set yourself up to have better outcomes, whether your outcomes are that matter to you, are, are financial, um, our community, our family. Um, you really set yourself up for better outcomes if you can get started and be be more planful about it. Totally. Um, that's one of the things that we think about, too, when we're working with people who are starting a business. And, you know, when thinking about uh, starting a business, talking about it, talking about what's your exit uh, from that business, even as you're starting out in the first stages. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I wanted to talk, dive in a little bit deeper What's the ideal profile of a small business that would be ready for conversion um, through you all? What we look for at Project Equity is, is profitable and stable small businesses, um, or depending on your point of view, you could, we, we could call them small to medium-sized enterprises. And, and we do emphasize that employee ownership is not the way to save a dying business. You know, if, if a business is in an industry that is going away and hasn't found a way to reinvent itself. That's not our ideal profile. Um, so what we're really looking for is a, a stable, successful business that has some profit that could be shared with new employee owners and that has a positive culture around the, the people part of the business. Um, it's certainly a great success factor if they've done anything like um, open book management or um, 
have a different ways that people are able to move up in the company. But those things aren't aren't essential for a company that could be a good fit for employee ownership. There's a lot of elements you can develop along the way. But the real bottom line is that it's a successful, profitable business. And we also look for businesses of a certain size. So on, on the lower end, we look for maybe 25 or 30 employees. And then on the higher end, it might be 200 or, or more, even three, 400. You can certainly have very successful employee-owned companies, even worker cooperatives that have hundreds or even thousands of employee owners. Um, and then finally, we're, we're very interested in certain key industries that we want to keep strong in our economies, our local communities. So manufacturing is one. We know that manufacturing companies have a very strong local multiplier effect where they support other businesses as well as employees and families um, that invest a lot of money back locally and have, you know, better paying jobs than, than some other industries. We're also particularly excited about and working with a number of businesses in, in green and sustainable industries. So solar installation is one example. Um, we're also working with some um, organic food distribution companies and other kinds of exciting cutting-edge companies that are, are creating the more sustainable economy that we need. Excellent. Um, so I understand that we need to take a short break. Uh, we are speaking with Hillary Abel and Allison Legain from Project Equity, and we will be right back after a short break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. What makes a great leader? Most have a vision, one that starts beyond the resources available and continues from that point into developing a solid plan, organization, and company. Leadership issues are discussed each week on VoltCast, illuminating leadership with host Jeff Smith. Jeff has years of experience as a leader and executive coach, and his guests will bring you information that can help a team of any size. Listen every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Variety. We live in perilous times on a beautiful yet fragile planet. As a species, we are not doomed to self-destruct. We can live in peace and in love for one another. We can save this, our only home. We must mature. Open your mind. Soften your heart. Listen for the fate of humanity. Crucial conversations for our survival. With host Lauren N. Nile. Tune in. The Fate of Humanity airs Wednesdays at 6 a.m. Pacific Time and 9 a.m. Eastern on the Voice America Variety Channel. Psych Up Live with host Dr. Suzanne Phillips is an insider's glimpse at a life from a psychological perspective. It's a look at what matters to us. Why do we laugh? How do we cope with stress? Are men and women really that different? What is it about our relationships? How are they formed? How they work out? And why they sometimes don't? Every week is something new to engage you. Psych Up Live is heard every Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We'll turn up your perspective on life. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Envision. To find out more about the program or to leave comments and questions, please visit our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash Envision Regenerative Communities. Now back to this week's show. 
Welcome back, everybody. We are here with Hilary Abel and Allison Langain from Project Equity, and we are talking about how Project Equity works with retiring business owners to extend the legacy of their businesses to their employees. And we were talking a little bit about the ideal profile for a, a small business that would be ready for conversion to worker ownership. Hillary and Allison, why would a business owner want to go this route? Yeah, great question. And, you know, I spend a lot of my time talking to business owners um, to help them understand this as an option. And, you know, the starting point always is, well, what do you want? Envision, imagine your retirement. And, you know, imagine you've sold your company. It's now five years hence or ten years hence. You know, what what would you want to be looking back on? Um, You know, and it's, it's, it's just always incredibly moving to hear people who have in many cases spent most of their lives building, building these companies um, to talk about what that company means to them and not just the company, but the, the people. So the, the clients, their customers, their partners or vendors or employees um, and, and how, how doing right by those people is important to them. And of course, the business owner is going to want to be paid fairly for their company. And this is oftentimes their life's work. Um, And so a a transition to to sell your company to your employees definitely can get, you know, the starting point is is market value. We always say if you you expect that you have a strategic buyer, you know, it's going to value your company much, much greater than, than another, you know, sort of local buyer would, then then we can't match that, but a, you know, a regular market value for your business absolutely can check that box. There may be the opportunity for additional tax breaks, um, depending on the situation. That uh, you know, the federal government has put some tax incentives in place for employee ownership transitions because they recognize the value um, to communities and to our society of employee ownership. But for the business owner, you know, it. It, it really, once you check those boxes of the financial and the timeline can be similar, you know, all of the kind of logistical things, it really comes down to what, is, what legacy matters to you. Um, and, and when you look back on it, how, how are you going to feel five years later um, if you look at the different options that you might have in front of you of selling your company to somebody else or selling it to your employees? Um, or in, in some cases, you know, just kind of quietly closing it down. And um, it's very inspiring to, to hear from people what these companies mean to them and, and how much that legacy does really matter. And so this is definitely a, an option, a path um, for business owners where, where that legacy can really live on, um, you know, for, for the, into the next generation. Yeah, I wanted to get into the nuts and bolts a little bit more. What does the process for conversion look like? Uh, what are the stages? How long does it take, et cetera? In Project Equity, we've broken it up in, in our minds and how we, we talk to clients about it into three or four main stages. And as we've done this work over the last several years, we've learned that it's really important to explicitly take time in the beginning to assess whether this option is feasible and is a good fit for the company. So during the assessment phase, it's, it's like three to four months that we'll, we'll work with a company who's been, you know, learning about it for some time and has decided they want to take a look at it and see if it's a fit. 
Um, and during that time, we work primarily with the business owner, him or herself, or owners. And sometimes we'll have some, some key employees who they work closely with um, on a day-to-day basis and who've been involved over time who are, who are part of the conversation at this early stage. We're, we're careful to not, um, depending on your perspective, you might get your hopes up if you hear, oh, we may become a cooperative. That's so exciting. I could become a co-owner. Um, or in some other cases, it might be alarm bells. Oh, my gosh, the owner's thinking of selling or they're retiring and what's that going to mean? Um, and so we don't want to quite go there until we know whether it's going to be feasible for, for the company. And so the primarily the primary question that we're asking during this feasibility assessment is if we were to set up a new employee-owned entity, whether it's a worker co-op or an ESOP or a trust, as as Allison mentioned, um, or if we're going to transition this entity into a version of it that's owned by, by employees, could that new business pay for itself over, say, five to seven years? So we're essentially looking at, will this employee-owned company be able to buy itself from the original owner? Um, and in some cases, the owner will be staying on with the company. In some cases, they'll be, be leaving within a few months or, or a year or two. Um, so it's really a pretty heavy-duty financial analysis, looking at things like debt capacity and um, how the sale might be structured. So we do a bunch of number crunching, a bunch of back and forth with the owner owners to, to understand what their bottom line is in terms of price, if you will, and also what are some of the options for, for different scenarios that could play out in the future. So that's the assessment, and we're also looking during that time at, you know, what do we think the level of interest among employees is, you know, however we want to gauge that without going too, getting too far ahead of ourselves, and also what other issues might come up in the process. And often a big question there is how will management be handled? So again, if the owner is staying on, how will that person's role change now that it's an employee-owned business and that person will be uh, maybe becoming a general manager or having a different role? But um, even if they're in a key management role, they're probably going to be reporting to a board of directors for the first time, and that's a change. And then, of course, if the owner is exiting the company, then we have to at least take an initial look at who might move into that, those senior management roles, or would there need to be someone brought in from the outside? So we take a light look at that, and then we basically um, converse with the owner. They reflect on it. They talk with family and any key employees they want to involve in the decision. Um, and if they want to go ahead, then we move into the actual work of converting the company. Um, so during that phase, we, we call that the prepare phase and then the actual conversion. Those two phases take maybe 6 to 12 months, and that's some pretty exciting work. So we... Um, we get to be very creative during that period and design the employee-owned company. Um, so that involves looking at things like, like governance. M- many of these companies will be setting up a board for the first time. So how many people you have on the board? How is that board's role going to be scoped? Um, how does management's role get defined as distinct from governance? Because we're now setting up two, two different layers in the company that it's really important to, to understand and to structure well. Um, we also look at questions like, will there be outsiders on the board, you know, folks who don't work in the company? Many um, worker cooperatives, for example, have non-worker owner board members. They, they would be the mi- minority of seats on the board because to be a cooperative, the majority has to be members of the co-op, um, in this case, employee owners of the company. Um, so we'll look at board design. We'll look at how membership gets structured. We'll look at how profits get shared. Uh, that's what we call employee ownership design. Um, and then as we move toward the convert phase where the company is actually getting sold from the original owners to the employee-owned entity, 
um, you're finalizing the sale price, the deal terms, the, the sale agreement, and then actually sitting down at the signing table and making it all official. So um, just to kind of finish the answer to your question, Ronnie, um, that's what we call the assess phase and then preparing and actually executing the conversion. And we consider the conversion process complete once we've supported the company in having its first board meeting. And that's kind of like the, the documents are signed, the financial transaction is done, and the first board meeting has happened. And that really is just the beginning of the company's life as a cooperative or an ESOP, as an employee-owned entity. So we do have a whole other service that goes for a year or even two years after the transition, and we call that our Thrive Program. So it's really about um, helping the entity thrive as an employee-owned company, and that would involve things like training for the employee owners. We, we do one-on-one coaching with key leaders like the the manager or the board president or the, um, you know, secretary or treasurer or people leading key committees. Um, And we also do a lot of work on board development. And one of the key roles that the board often needs to take on is financial oversight. So sometimes there's a, you know, sort of a financial planning and um, training role that comes into place there as well. Awesome. I just wanted to really point out how innovative this is because I used to be an investment banker myself and did a lot of work on leveraged buyouts. And there's some similarities in that process as it relates to the deep financial analysis and figuring out how to finance a buyout of a company. But in in that case, the, the financial buyout There are a lot of private equity firms, high net worth individuals that are the ones who really make the money off of that, as well as some of the debt holders. And what you all are doing is, in some ways, a similar process from a financial standpoint, but really putting the ownership into the hands of the people in the community, which is you know, very vital if we're going to transform our economy to uh, one that is more resilient. So I I just want to point that out for our audience and applaud you on that work and that innovation in, in, in financial engineering. Yeah, th- thank you, Ronnie. And, you know, as, as Allison said, it's really an honor for us to work with the, the really interesting entrepreneurs and business owners who have built these companies and then have decided to take a, an unusual step, but also a very reasonable and doable step, even though many of them don't know it until they start to learn about it. And and working with the employee owners as they move into those new roles is just very dynamic and interesting work. And everybody's learning about the financial system, about, you know, things that they haven't had a chance to dig too deep into. So it's it's really fun to be able to use use the tools of, of the capital markets and of, you know, sort of mainstream business to, to create businesses that really are um bringing more more capital and more assets and building wealth for communities that don't don't have a lot of it. Yeah, terrific. Are there any myths or misconceptions you find yourself needing to clear up as you're going through this process with people? Oh, only one or two, <laughs> this is Allison. Um, yeah, the, when we talk to, to business owners or to, or to folks, um, you know, you mentioned you have uh, your background is in investment banking. You know, we talk to a lot of uh, business brokers as well. You know, that we often hear three things. Um, and so I, I actually will sometimes just open my conversations, but let's just get some, some things cleared up and out of the way. <laughs> So, so, you know, the first thing is, oh, well, my employees, they don't want to buy my company. Um, and even if they wanted to buy it, they don't have the money to buy it. 
And even if they didn't have the money to buy it, well, they could never run my company. Um, so, you know, I'll walk them through, well, okay, let's just stop for a second and, and, and take them one by one. So your employees don't want to buy your company. Well, um, do your employees know what it means to become one of many employee owners? which is very different from the concept of I as one individual employee or one, one or two employees are going to go figure out how to get access to some money to buy this company and then we're going to be the, you know, the, the, the two or the one in charge of this business. Um, it, it's a very different, um, very different experience being one, being in a broad-based a uh, broad-based employee-owned company than being, you know, the one sole owner. So, you know, until or unless you get to the point where you can describe what that looks like um, and can answer people's questions about what that experience looks like, it's really hard to know if this is something your employees are going to want to do or not want to do. You know, as Hillary mentioned in our assessment, our, our very upfront first-step feasibility of could this work um, that's something that we help the business owners with. We help them talk about this and um, get the questions answered and, and, and kind of test it with a few key employees to assess if there is interest. Um, um, you know, do, do your employees, in fact, want to go this direction of broad-based employee ownership? And then the second question, well, my employees don't have the money to buy my company. You know, you, you said, well, gosh, this sounds really similar to a leveraged buyout. And that's what, how we often describe it to people who are unfamiliar with it. This is, you know, a, a leveraged employee buyout, not just some key employees, but all employees. And it's actually the business that takes out the loan um, in the business's name based upon its cash flow and, you know, and, and lending history to be able to, uh, to buy itself from the selling owner. The employees, depending on the employee ownership structure, may have what's called a buy-in, so a, a financial skin in the game that is accessible to them, set at a level so that it's not out of reach for any of the employees, um, and oftentimes can be paid for out of payroll deductions, but so that there is some financial skin in the game, but it's not the ex- expectation that if there's 50 employees, that each one of them is going to bring one fiftieth of the sale price to the table. Um, so it's a leveraged buyout, so you have, you have debt. Sometimes you can have equity as well um, so that the company takes on debt or equity or a combination to raise the money to be able to buy itself from the, from the seller. And then the third one, well, gosh, my employees could never run my company, and, you know, sometimes I get a, give a little flippant response and say, well, of course they couldn't. We would never expect your employees to run your company. That's the job of the general manager or the CEO, Right. Um, so we talk a lot about the difference between governance and operations. And so governance is really at the board level. You know, think of the roles of the board and, and you know, folks are familiar with either a, a board of a company or a board of a nonprofit. Um, you know, it's, it's high level um, strategic decision making. Um, and then the day-to-day operations of running the company, you have a typical management structure um, you know, a GM or CEO and, and managers who run the company. So, so it's really important, that distinction. Um, and this is a model that people aren't familiar with. So, so you know, the opportunity to be able to share this, share this model on, on this, in this conversation today um, so the more people can learn about it is, is really important. Thank you. Can you talk about one of your most recent conversions? Sure, this is Hillary. I'm happy to do that. We'd love to talk about um, one company called A Slice of New York. 
And they are a pair of pizza shops in the South Bay. One is in San Jose and the other in Santa Clara. And they were started by a a couple who had worked in in Silicon Valley in a tech company and just wanted to to go back and do something great in the community. And Kirk Vartan had had grown up in New York and just loved New York-style pizza and wanted to give that experience to people in the Bay Area. Um, so he has a real passion for the product that they produce. And when you, when you walk into these pizza shops, there's so much passion among all of the employees. So they were a great company that really empowered employees from the beginning. And Kirk and Marguerite, the original owners, will always say, you know, we, this is very much like a family. They even have a, a family crest, which is a tattoo of the company logo <laughs> that a number of employees have asked to, to be able to put on themselves because they love the company so much. Um, and they've done things like, you know, have employees for 10 years who they've helped put through college and that kind of thing. So this is a company with a great culture, even well before it became employee-owned. And on July 1st of this year, it completed its transition to become a worker cooperative. And they are just an amazing business. And I've had the pleasure of working really closely with the founding worker owners, people who were, quote-unquote, just employees, although I, I actually don't like that term. I think all employees are incredibly valuable contributors to their companies, whether they're owners or not. But, um, you know, moving from being employees to, to being worker owners and, and being able to take on new leadership roles in the company. Thank you. Thank you, Hillary. We're taking a short break and we'll be right back speaking with Hillary Abel and Allison Lingain from Project Equity. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Where are you getting your advice on buying, selling, or maintaining your most important asset, your home? Is it from a reality show on cable TV, a comparison website, or are you just flying by the seat of your pants and gut instinct? Stop now before you make another move. Tune into Real Real Estate Today with host and realtor Deb Tomorrow. You can't afford to play guesswork when it comes to your new or existing home. Listen every Tuesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific, on Voice America Variety. Would you like to be the change you see needed in the world? Are you ready to make a difference? If so, tune in to Voice for Truth with host Sharon Wyckoff and Jude Albright. Every show will be filled with inspiring content to support you in recognizing your greatness. Guests will share their expertise. Youths will tell how they are making a difference. You too can be a voice for truth. Listen live every Monday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Are you ready for a disaster? If you are like many people in the world, that answer may sadly be no. Disasters happen unexpectedly to people just like you every day. Tune into Preparing for the Unexpected with business continuity and disaster planning expert Alex Bullock. The show will not only help you better prepare for a disaster itself, but also to prepare you, your place of employment and community for the aftermath, emotionally, financially, and with a better level of awareness and a stronger feeling of resiliency. Tune in Thursdays at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. 
you are listening to Envision. To find out more about the program or to leave comments and questions, please visit our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash Envision Regenerative Communities. Now back to this week's show. Welcome back, everybody. We are speaking with Hilary Abel and Allison Lingain from Project Equity. They support small businesses in their transition to worker-owned models. We were just talking about the profile of the businesses and an example of a business that recently went through a conversion. I want to switch gears a little bit and talk about what's coming up for Project Equity. Uh, In order to expand this work, you've been cultivating a network of regional partnerships. Can you talk a little bit about who some of these partners are and how you work with them? Uh, sure. This is Hillary. I'll, I can talk about two exciting partners that we're currently working with in North Carolina and in the Twin Cities in Minneapolis. So we're working in a region of the western part of North Carolina with a partner called the Industrial Commons. And they got started because of the history of the um, textile industry in North Carolina. It used to employ hundreds of thousands of people. And after NAFTA, Um, In the early 1990s, um, 200,000 jobs left the western part of that state in the textile industry. So fast forward 20-some years, and some of those jobs are starting to come back. And one of the businesses that has really led that, um, they they say they're reshoring or bringing back of some really important jobs in the textile industry, is a worker cooperative called Opportunity Threats. So they're a very... um, they have, you know, very low error rates and they're very kind of passionate, high production, doing um, eco-friendly fashion, working with designers all over the country and with a lot of local designers in North Carolina. And they're a fast-growing business that has made a huge difference in the economies of the families of the low-wage workers who actually own the company. Um, so some of them have actually been able to buy homes with the help of the local credit union and in some cases actually do that in cash because of the money that they've been able to save by working for this very effective and fast-growing worker cooperative. So that co-op really has caught the attention of many others in the textile industry in Western North Carolina. And so they've been receiving inquiries. You know, I'm I'm an older business owner. I, I have this you know, have had this business for decades and I don't know what to do with it. So there emerged the need to do education and and potentially facilitate transitions to employee ownership in this region of Western North Carolina. And that's where our partner, the Industrial Commons, was born. So we're we're working with them to raise awareness. Um, They've brought in local community colleges and economic development commissions and we'll be, be headed out to North Carolina in a couple of weeks to do some some education there and to help build the pipeline and and be responsive to the companies that are coming out and wanting to know more about employee ownership. Um, And Allison, if you'd like to jump in and talk about our our partner in the Twin Cities, it's called Nexus Community Partners. Um, Would you like to take that one? Sure, yeah. And um, before I jump in and talk about them a bit, uh, just to sort of frame up what our model is, you know, we are based in Oakland, California, so the San Francisco Bay Area is our home. Um, and, you know, we sort of consider it our, our laboratory, if you will, um, and, and we, we hope to be able to, to offer um, what we're learning about how to do this work and how to do it well to folks in other regions of the country to be able to help spread this, this, this approach um, and help other organizations um, add it into to what they may already be doing to, um, you know, really foster a local economy that works for everyone. Um, 
And, and we do that through these really strong partnerships with, with um, great trusted organizations. So, so yeah, in the, in the Twin Cities in Minnesota, Nexus Community Partners um, is just an amazing, amazing organization. Um, and as part of their community wealth building strategy, uh, they, they're, they're doing a number of different things and a focus on business conversions and on supporting, they, they work with a, a whole range of um, different, what they call cultural communities um, across the Twin, twin Cities uh, and organizations that, that focus on um, helping small businesses uh, thrive and really kind of create economic ownership in those communities. And so um, they're working to help bring this approach of business conversions um, to, the, to the work of, of their partners across the Twin Cities. Excellent. As you continue to build out this network of regional partners, um, tell us a little bit about who should care about this issue and, and who beyond individual business owners or employees involved do you consider to be stakeholders in this issue? Yeah, a terrific question. And, um, you know, that we often start with, well, who's going to care financially, right? Because that's such a powerful lever, like it or not, in our world. Um, and so, you know, what happens when local businesses leave a, a city, right? Cities lose their local tax revenue, Um and cities lose cities and regional economies lose the, the local multiplier of money that is spent at a locally owned business. Um, you know, there's great data out there that shows that two, three times that uh, the amount of money stays within within your local economy when it's spent at a locally owned company versus one that is is owned by somebody outside of the area. So, cities and regional economic development leaders, for sure, um, also. Uh, small business advocates, local economy advocates, and there's lots of reasons to want um, to have more small businesses in our communities. And um, we know that, that after home ownership, business ownership is the second second greatest way that people build assets. Um, so, you know, when we think about really wanting to have, um, you know, not just not just income equality, but wealth equality in this country, and we know we are so so far from it. Um, no matter what stat you want to look at, but especially if you look at it through the racial lens, um, racial income and wealth inequality is, is at, at the staggering levels in this, in this country. Um, so for people who care about asset building or um, wealth building, community wealth building, um, small, business, small business advocates, um, you know, keeping small businesses locally, but also having to be even more powerful tools to help um, to help bridge that wealth gap um, is really important. I mean, we know that employee, owner, employee owners earn 33% more than, than non-employee owners across industries, across wage levels, um, that they have uh, 92% more assets and significantly more stable jobs. So um, you know, these are stats that are recently published by the National Center for, uh, for Employee Ownership. Um, uh, a, a study, so these are, you know, real numbers, <laughs> um, that, that demonstrate the, the power, really, um, of employee ownership and, and why, why, we, why we know that we need to have, um, have this model be more highly represented in our local economies. Thank you. As you look forward a few years, uh, what does success look like for Project Equity? 
We actually are looking forward a few years right now. We're working on a sort of a three-year plan for starting in 2018. And our goal is to be in at least 10 regions around the country by 2020. Um, As we mentioned, we're currently working in our home community of the San Francisco Bay Area. We're working in two other regions. And we're, we're starting earlier projects in two additional regions and also hearing from folks around the country that they'd like this work to be happening in their communities. Um, So what does it mean for us to be in a region? What success in a given region? We'd love to see a thriving ecosystem of employee-owned businesses, of other community actors like all the ones Allison just mentioned, whether it's city governments or um, local nonprofits or small business advocates, um, all supporting employee ownership as one of many forms of a more more resilient local economy. And we look at that at the, at the community level and also at the individual business level. So we'd like to see each of these employee-owned companies really thriving as dynamic workplaces where people are building skills and building wealth. And then to see those experiences transferring into those individuals' families for, for greater economic stability for low and moderate income families, which is who we're primarily working with. You know, whether that's just having basic savings or getting your annual profit sharing and be able to invest that in retirement or planning to purchase assets like, like homes or, or cars or other things um, that can just provide that modicum of greater, greater stability um, to a family's lives. And, and then we like to see people investing back in their communities. And ultimately, what, what we envision is um, local economies around the country that have employee ownership as a major part of them to the degree that employee ownership becomes more self, self-fueling, self-replicating, if you will. So, you know, Project Equity is one of many organizations around the country that are promoting this model, that are really focusing in on the silver tsunami and all the retiring baby, baby boomers who own businesses and the really important work of keeping those local. Um, but we really hope that over time, success will be that other actors in the small business ecosystem are including employee ownership as an exit strategy, just like you at Optima Business Bootcamp. You know, we want more people. We want everybody who's working with startups, just like you, to be talking with people about their ultimate exit plan and having that include cooperatives and employee ownership. When you think about these different regions that you want to get into, what makes a region ripe for the work that you're doing? That's such a great question, and it's and it's one that we're um, you know actively exploring and learning from from local partners about. One thing is definitely the the quality of the partner. So we really look to work with organizations that are very business savvy and also have a deep deep heart and head for the work. So we want organizations that are deeply committed to their communities, um, and also to the success of this strategy of employee ownership. Um, we're also looking for, for places where there are, you know, significant numbers of, of businesses owned by, by aging business owners. And as Allison mentioned, you know, the, that's almost anywhere in the country at this point, but there, there are some places where there are more, more concentrations. And, and similarly, we're also interested in communities that have higher concentrations of certain industries, like, like manufacturing. Los Angeles, it turns out, has the highest concentration of, of manufacturing companies in, in the country, and we're one of many organizations that think it's really important to hold on to that. Um, so, so, yeah, uh, you know, that, that commitment, the right partner, um, and the, the opportunity to keep great businesses local. All right. well, one more question for you. How can our audience support the work of Project Equity? 
Wonderful question. I would say the first and most important thing is just help to raise awareness of this, this issue of our of our local small businesses that employ good people. <laughs> um, that 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 half of them, nearly half of them, are are something will happen to them in the coming years. And and what are we going to do about it? So raise awareness. Talk talk to your local business owners. Talk to your cities. We know, we hear this from communities around the country that this silver tsunami of retiring business owners is real. Um, and there are, people are already seeing businesses close down um, and it will have a big negative effect on our local economies. So definitely raise awareness. That's, that's our biggest ask. Um, you know, of course, we can't help but give a little plug. We are a nonprofit organization, so we're always, always looking uh, for good people to, to help out, whether that's from a volunteer perspective or a donation perspective. Um, and, you know, if you know good, good people who are interested in this work or are interested in bringing this work, um, uh, you know, integrating it into work that's already good work that's already being done in a region, you know, please don't hesitate to reach out. Um, our website is www.project-equity.org. Thank you so much, Hillary and Allison. It was really a pleasure having you on the show. Oh, thank you, Ronnie. It's just a, a, a joy to be chatting with you today. And, um, you know, this topic is so near and dear, I know, to, to, to all of our um, all of our hearts and, and both of our organizations. We really appreciate it. Today we Thanks spoke with Project us. Yeah, thank you. Today we spoke with Project Equity about how they work with small business owners to leave a lasting legacy by transitioning ownership to their employees. Look for announcements on our voiceamerica.com homepage and you will find a recording of today's show and other shows and social media links. And thank you again for joining us today. I'm Ronnie Langer-Crozier and this is Envision. Thank you for tuning in this week to Envision. If you have questions, comments, or suggestions for future shows, visit our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash Envision Regenerative Communities. For more information about today's guests and upcoming shows, please see our show page on voiceamerica.com. Be sure to join us again next Tuesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time and 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a terrific week.